a part of this, but I, I do want to thank uh, everyone who is here. Um, I got a little, uh, I, I did get feedback that, um, that uh, from, from maybe some campus ministers and, and whatnot that signing up and coming to this is, is difficult for some of you, uh, maybe a little awkward for some of you. So I thought we'd start with a little icebreaker um, to cut through the tension. Um, on the count of three, everyone point at the person that you're interested in, okay? <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? Uh, you know, if two people are pointing at each other, then, you know, we're in a church. I'm a minister. A lot of witnesses here. We could uh, seal the deal. All right. Um, I do want to thank you for being here, commend you for being here. Uh, for some of you, this isn't a big deal. This really isn't. Uh, but I know for others, it's, it's awful. Um, maybe even like, uh, maybe even you could say a, a worse nightmare. Um, some, of, some, some people here are divorced. You're single because of that. Some people are here um, later in life um, and, and single. Um, and, and you're, you know, in a room with a bunch of younger uh, single folks, and that hurts, and then young, younger folks too. Uh, it's just it, it because of, and we're going to get into a lot of this. By the way, the good thing about uh, having my seminar being this, like back-to-back hours is that I can go long if I want to. I have a lot to say, and, um, but I'm not really worried about it because, because I can bleed into the next one. We will, we will break out. We will have more pl- practical discussion but, um, but I just got a lot to say, and I honestly don't know how long it's going to take me to get through this. It will be in, within the hour, but it might take me the whole time. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but I do have a lot to say, and um, one, of the, one of the things that we'll talk a lot about is why, why cu- this culture has become such that, um, that singleness is so painful and, and so difficult. Um, but I, by way of introduction, um, I, I want to I maybe uh, help us understand why... Um, the different reasons, because I, I think it's important for you to, I think it's important for you to conceptualize uh, your, your, um, your struggles with this and to own your struggles with this. Why is singleness difficult? And, um, and I, I said this on, on Facebook when I was talking about the seminar, but um, I, I, what I seem to encounter are, are two reasons why it, it would be hard for you to be in this room. Uh, one is shame and the other is strength, and they're kind of both ends of the, of the spectrum. Um, shame is that it's just embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. It presses in on your deepest insecurities and whispers to you your, 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 your greatest fears about yourself. Um, and it's just shame. Everything inside of you wishes you were down that hall in the marriage and parenting seminar, but instead you're here. And you're ashamed that you're here. And you hate what being here says about you. Uh, on the other on the other end is kind of this faux strength that I see singles um, manufacture. Um, there are those who don't like being here because it's admitting weakness. Um, a singleness seminar at a church conference is the most nauseatingly cliche Christian single thing to do. Um, that's for feeble Christians who need marriage, but I don't. Um, I don't even want it. I got my career, I got my social life, I've got my independence and my personal space, 
And to be here feels kind of like a vulnerable concession, admitting need. Um, So you don't want to be down the hall in that marriage and parenting seminar, and being here makes it look like you wish you were down the hall, and that's what hurts. Um, Here's what I want both of you to see. You are strange bedfellows in this messed up culture of love and marriage. And when I say messed up culture, I'm not just talking about outside the church walls, the outside culture, though certainly that is very messed up. I'm talking about the evangelical culture that is anemic, um, woefully deficient in shepherding and discipling the unmarried among us. There's nothing out there. There is uh, nothing of any thoughtful substance, that is. Uh, So yes, the world has massive issues, but we have only compounded uh, the problem by either trivializing uh, singleness at best or or ignoring it altogether at worst. In other words, we don't know what to do with you, so we're just going to kind of ignore it and not give you categories and and discipleship and paradigms and ways to think about this. And so what it has done is it has created this unhealthy view of singleness where marriage is either idolized or despised. That's, that's what's going on with the shame and strength there. Marriage is either idolized or despised. But ironically, both share the same problem. They are viewing singleness through the lens of marriage. Whether you are ashamed that you're not married or you're proud that you're not married, the idea of marriage is dictating the terms of your life. That is to say, you are allowing who you are and where God has you to be defined by who you are not and where God does not have you. You have taken something else and allowed it to define where you are. There needs to be another way. And the option is to recover or, I believe this is cutting edge stuff. I'm not, what I'm going to say is not cutting edge. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm cutting edge. I'm saying it's cutting edge in the sense of this is a really new thing that the church is up against, um, culturally speaking. And so there's just not much out there. I'm going to talk about that. Um, So when I say the option is to recover, I think maybe it's to discover a robust, thoughtful, intentional, theologically rich, yet practically compelling vision of the unmarried life. A vision for singleness that is marked by dignity and glory. And that's what I hope to provide for you today. I put a lot into this because... I don't think there's been much put into this. And so I'm hoping that what I say today, um, and maybe I'll follow it up by putting some of this in writing, um, and and, and of course these are recorded of the podcast, I hope it can become a resource for you and your friends um, for for a vision of singleness that uh, that is rich and compelling. Here's, um, Here's how I'm gonna come at it, okay? I am, we're, going to look at, we're, going to look, we're going to look at the singleness of Jesus and Paul. And what we're going to do is we're going to use both of them um, to look at the myths and gifts of singleness. Okay? The myths and gifts of singleness. What singleness is not 
and what singleness is. We're going to allow Jesus to show us the myths. We're going to look at the humanity of Jesus and say, Jesus was single, therefore these lies, these myths that you're believing cannot be true because they were not true of Jesus. And then we're going to look at, we're going to look at the life of Paul to look at the gifts of singleness and see what singleness is. We're going to look at how Paul did singleness to see what it is. And I'm going to give you three for each. So we're going to have three myths of singleness and three gifts of singleness. And what I'm going to do is ground each of them in one verse. Okay, so I'm going to have a verse for the myths and I'm going to have a verse for the gifts and then we're just going to go all over the place. But I'll start by rooting us in that. So let's take up the myths first, okay? Here is Hebrews, yeah, here is Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The miracle of the virgin birth is so important to our faith. We say in the creed that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And only in this way can what is conceived be fully God and fully man. If the Messiah just showed up from heaven in human form, he would not be fully human. If the Messiah was conceived by man and woman and then was anointed by God or something like that to be the Messiah, then he would not be fully God. But the Holy Spirit comes upon a virgin and what is conceived is fully God and fully man. Not half God, not half man, not one part God, one part man, not sometimes God, sometimes man, at all times, fully God, fully man. And what you have to understand to dispel the myths of singleness is how important the incarnation and the humanity of Jesus is to this discussion. Tolkien speaks of primary and secondary knowledge um, within a story. Primary knowledge is our actual experiences of a story that we inhabit. We inhabit a story, we experience it, that's primary knowledge. We know things because we're experiencing things. Secondary knowledge is where storytelling comes in and where Tolkien was so brilliant. If a novel or a film is told well enough, the characters are so well developed, the details are so rich with imagery and so forth, if it's a good story and the story is told well, then it will evoke what's called secondary belief. We actually are caught up in the story and experiencing it with the characters of the story. We actually cry with the story's tragedies. We actually laugh with the story's joys. We get chills with the story's drama. We relate to the story and experience the story as though we ourselves are in it. That's secondary knowledge. Now I ask you, how does God relate to our story? I think when people typically think of God, they think he relates to our story with this secondary knowledge. It's not that he's distant and unattached. He actually does care and love us. He's very moved by what happens to us. He, he, he um, you know, it, 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 it's, it evokes emotions and all these different things. But he's not actually in it with us. The virgin birth says, no, no, no. Um, secondary knowledge has become primary knowledge. He knows our story because he is in our story. He isn't relating to humanity. He is humanity. As human as you are is Jesus. Now, he's 
the Son of God incarnate, so he has this unique ability to be as God as God is and as human as you are, but he is as human as you are. Now, the implications and truths of this are endless, but for our purposes, I want to allow the full humanity of Jesus to dispel the myths of singleness. The celibate life of Jesus is not appreciated or contemplated enough. You I just, in studying for this, just meditating on the celibacy of Christ and all of its implications is so rich. Because Jesus chose the unmarried life, we are able to say so much about your life. It particularly, what it is and what it is not. The lies we believe about singleness are dispelled by the singleness of Jesus. And I want to look at three in particular, like I said. Three that tend to be specific to our culture and context. And specificity here is really important to the discussion. The idolatry of marriage and the struggle with singleness is not new to our culture, but the struggle changes. For example, centuries ago, and still to this day in more traditional cultures, marriage and family meant prosperity and security. So singleness was feared in a way that we fear like debt or job loss, or failure to save for retirement, or a market crash. But that's not an issue in Western culture anymore. You can be prosperous and secure financially and so forth, even more so in a lot of ways as a single career person. Our fears of singleness fit more with a therapeutic, individualistic, at times even narcissistic age we inhabit. That is to say, marriage and family are worshipped because of what they do for me. Not because of security or anything like that in the traditional marriage or what it says about the family name if I don't get married or anything like that. No, no, no. Marriage, is, marriage and family are worship because of what they do for me. Most specifically, these deep, restless desires that I see marriage as the answer to. This is the root of the modern myth we now believe about marriage. And I want to speak to what I believe are the three most common. And you will notice that what the myth is rooted in is your individualistic felt desires because that is the spirit of the age. Here are the three myths. You need marriage to be complete. You need sex to be fulfilled. You need family to be loved. These are lies that you are believing about marriage and they are lies and we're going to let Jesus show us that that is so. The first is you need marriage to be complete. So when I committed to study and present content for singleness, as I mentioned, I was amazed how little has been done on this topic. Um, we do have books in the bookstore out there, and I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I have not read those, uh, so I, 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 I'm, they might be great, I don't know. Um, but they're few and far between, and the way we got those is we kind of, Will just got on the Gospel Coalition and started reading around, like, do they recommend anything? Like, what's out there? And... The answer is there's not much. Page, Page's article has been the two-page standard for forever. Um, you've probably read that. What is it, baby? Singled out, singled out for good. Yeah, the, the, lady, the, the lady who led Abby to Jesus, incredibly gifted lady, Paige Benton Brown is where you'll find it on Google. Uh, she wrote an article um, doing campus ministry uh, that became this, this still exists as kind of a two-page standard. Um, there's not books, there's not anything. Um, I was overwhelmed by how little there was. Um, and what there is out there, um, 
here, here's the bigger problem is there's not much out there, but what is out there um, has an intrinsic flaw that throws the whole thing off theologically from the beginning and I think in the end perpetuates the problem of singleness. So what is being written has a theological assumption within it that is wrong and will, it only perpetuates the issue. So what I want to do, let's, I want to see if you can pick up on it. Let's take a tour uh, through the books out there and see if you can pick up on them. The first, of course, is Lady in Waiting. Um, this is the big one. Uh, millions, and they, they got to work on the cover, but uh, millions, millions of copies sold. Um, this discipled an entire generation of ladies on how to do singleness. Um, I don't know if this book is even still used. Is it still used? Do you all raise your hand if you use this? No. Yeah, that's the most embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, preacher. All the women who are reading Lady in Waiting, please raise your hand. <laughs> but I don't know. We won't ask if you've read it or are reading it. But it has, here's why you need to know this even if you haven't read it. It has discipled an entire generation on how to do singleness, but perhaps even more significantly has shaped the narrative of singleness within the evangelical church. This book pretty much did that. It shaped the narrative of how we do singleness and how we disciple singleness. So you, you can only imagine it became in, turned into an empire. Uh, Lady in Waiting was, produ- was uh, replaced by the new uh, waiting, Lady in Waiting. Um, now we've got the uh, over one million copies sold. Now she's longingly looking out the window. Um, it's uh, the new lady in waiting, uh, classic message for a new generation. So we've updated it for y'all. Um, now this is so important. The lady in waiting uh, concept is so important that um, they actually came out with a book called Raising a Lady in Waiting. So this is how, how moms can stand on the beach and hold their child and <laughs> prepare her for the man. Oh, love, I didn't even see that. Parenting guide to helping your daughter avoid a bo- bozo. <laughs> Look at Raising a lady in waiting. Now, now, raising a lady in waiting is serious, serious business. So you need help. So it starts young. We, uh, we have lady in waiting for little girls. Yeah. Aw and cute and what? Uh... They, they, they get out of the picture book years and we get to the young lady in waiting. Um, so I guess this is, I don't know, where my, where my boys are, um, is you're developing a heart of a princess, which is noble. Um, then you get into high school and college, we have lady in waiting student edition. Yeah. Um, and so this is, this is, I suppose, for high school students, college students, how to do it that way. Um, after you graduate college, you just retire into the waiting room. The waiting room. A 31-day devo- devotional for single women waiting for the right husband. Um, now, you're not idle in the waiting room. I mean, they call it the waiting room, like the husband will see you now. But you're, 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 not, uh, you're not idle in the waiting room. You're, you're, you're busy at work. Uh, uh, You've got some books to read. Lord, prepare me to be a godly wife. Um, I, again, godliness viewed as an end for your husband, which is true if your husband's Christ, but we'll get into that. Um, and you've got some praying to do. Praying for your future husband. 
Mm-hmm. Bearing your heart for his. And it, they're all staring at the sky, yeah. Um, and if you need a little bit more direction, we've got 31 days of prayer for your future husband. <laughs> looking at the sky, I know. And they're all, and they're all looking at the sky in their dress. Uh, all right, now listen. If you've been in the waiting room for a long time, you start getting desperate. And, and you just start getting really real. The next one would be, God, where is my Boaz? Please. A woman's guide to understanding, listen to this. A woman's guide to understanding what's hindering her from receiving the love of the man she deserves. What's hindering her from her Boaz? And then, you know, at some point, you get angry at God, and it's just, God, send me my husband, exclamation point. (laughs) Enough! Exclamation point. My husband, now. Okay, what is the fallacy intrinsic in the evangelical singleness book world? Consider Lady-in-Waiting, the title and subtitle are very telling. Lady-in-Waiting, becoming God's best while waiting for Mr. Right. Now, to be fair, becoming God's best, I would commend to every single person in this room. The content of the book is actually noble. I I do want to be be fair. Um, It's a noble book, um, and it's essentially this. Instead of wallowing in your singleness, you should pursue Jesus with a passion and focus on becoming a better you. You Focus on becoming more like Christ instead of wallowing in singleness. Good, but the critique of the book is that pursuit of Christ and sanctification are viewed not as the end of Christianity, but as a means to something greater, and the something greater is marriage. That's, That's the flaw, that the end of the journey of becoming the best you is a husband or a wife, which would make marriage something greater than Christ and his sanctification. Lady in waiting, we have to ask, waiting for what? If the what is marriage, then marriage has been exalted to an unhealthy pedestal of wholeness. You are not a lady in waiting, you are a lady. Period. If you're a Christian, you are a lady in Christ. A complete lady in Christ, lacking nothing with or without a husband. You are not a man in waiting. You are a man. Man in Christ. A complete man in Christ, lacking nothing with or without a wife. And if you wish to argue with me on that point, then I will simply defer you to Christ himself. Do not tell the incarnate Son of God that you must have a spouse to be complete because you will indict him as incomplete in his humanity, which is a historical heresy. That is heresy. That is the renouncing of the creeds to say that Jesus is not fully human. Therefore, to believe singleness is complete in a spouse is an orthodox heresy. Jesus is complete in his humanity. You are complete in your humanity with or without a spouse. So what this does is dispel the narrative in your mind 
that God is doing something to you to prepare you for the completeness of marriage. The lie that God is doing something in me to prepare me for the wholeness that will be mine in marriage. As soon as you are, these are things that Paige in her article says, people said to her. As soon as you are satisfied in God alone, he will bring you the spouse. You know, he's, he's waiting for you to be ready to bring you a spouse. Contentment in him, as soon as I know you're content in me, then I can give you a spouse. Until then, I, I, you know. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. Lady in waiting. Before you can marry someone wonderful, you've got to become someone wonderful. All of these trite axioms view marriage as the, the end of God's work in your life. But what happens when you change the end of the story, the telos of completion into Christ-likeness rather than marriage is that now everything is getting you there. And that could be marriage, that could be singleness, that could be divorce, that could be anything to get you there. But the there is not marriage, it is Jesus, Christ-likeness. Wholeness is not a spouse. And by the way, before we move on from this point, may God have mercy on your future spouse where you define one if you think that spouse will be your completion and wholeness. Because the same idolatry of marriage that is destroying your singleness will one day destroy your spouse in marriage. If you enter into that and say, you wife must complete me. You wife must make me whole. You are the answer. You are the end of my longings. You are completion. You will crush your spouse and you will ruin your marriage. Here's the second myth. You need sex to be fulfilled. You need sex to be fulfilled. Um, we live in an erotic, over-sexualized age. The sexual revolution has taught us uh, that, um, and we have believed it, um, that sexual pleasure is ultimate pleasure. The highest aim of this existence is sexual fulfillment. And nothing should stand in the way of your achievement. This is why the LGBTQ community and efforts are so militantly opposed to any and all sexual ethics that would restrict sexual expression and fulfillment because you, in their mind, you can understand how they think this because of the, the narrative of the sexual revolution. In their mind, you are literally denying someone their fundamental right to happiness. All men are created equal for the rights, inalienable rights toward happiness. You are allowed to be happy, and sex is happy. Therefore, sexual ethics is wicked and oppressive because it is, it is denying people their fundamental right to happiness and joy. Now, the problem is that we, too, have bought into this lie. We believe that sex is the highest form of human fulfillment. To be denied sex is to be denied my very joy and happiness. Now, obviously, this is not a problem for singles who don't hold to Christian convictions, but if you are here or you're listening to this podcast, then it's probably an issue for you. To be single is to be celibate in the Christian worldview, at least in conviction. I know, and I know there's a lot of shame in this room, 
Um, I, I know that that's conviction, but it's not always practice. But by conviction, the, so singleness in the eyes of Christians inhabiting the sexual revolution age is not just an incomplete life, it is an unfulfilled life. It is an unsatisfied life. It is an unhappy life. Well, again, Jesus dispels that myth. Jesus was tempted, our, our passage says, um, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. It's the in every respect that makes this verse so compelling, isn't it? It would probably... Um, yeah. If it, just said, if it just said, our high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who was tempted as we are, just kind of a general tempted as we are, um, it would probably enable us to think of Jesus as someone who had a general, low-grade, non-specific temptation that he didn't indulge. Kind of a token, yeah, 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 I'm tempted. The, the in all respects makes it very raw and real, and perhaps scandalous. How was Jesus tempted? Was he tempted like me? The Bible says in every respect. And so yes, Jesus was tempted by sex. He was a male with functioning sexual organs who went through puberty, who saw and appreciated women's beauty and was tempted to have sex with women, was tempted to indulge in lustful thoughts and fantasy of the imagination, but he said no. Perfectly said no. Every single time he put temptation to death and was without sin. Now I ask you, was Jesus therefore unhappy and unfulfilled? I think people actually think that about Jesus. I think they think I think they view Jesus' celibacy the way they view you view your celibacy. He must have been so unhappy, but he was willing to bear that cross and suffer for us and, and, and deny all of these things for us so that we can be saved and whatnot. No, actually he was perfectly content and fulfilled. Because fulfillment is not sex. Fulfillment, according to Jesus, is to do the will of his Father. That's my bread. The will of his father for Jesus was singleness. And he found delight in obedience to his father's calling. Were he to forsake the father's will and have sex, it would have felt good. Jesus was fully human, it would have felt good. And yet it would have emptied him of his joy and fulfillment. Sex is not the highest joy. Obedience to God is. And so yes, singleness calls you to the celibate life. But the plausibility of the celibate life must become a happy option for you. It's not easy. Nobody's saying it's easy. Get this, nor is marriage and sex easy in marriage. It is very difficult. It is not what you imagine it to be. The intimacy, what it does to you, the way it opens you up, there is no wound like the wound of one you have opened yourself up to in sex. 
and many of you know that already in, 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 in painful ways. Um, the complexities, not to mention what sex produces, four little knuckleheads that, and we'll get to kids, I know. Um, listen, sex and marriage isn't easy. It's a cross to bear. Of course it's a delight. Of course it's a joy. Yes, it's something to be enjoyed. So is singleness. It has its unique joys. And yes, its unique challenges. It is not easy. That comes with a whole host of crosses to bear. But obedience to the Father's will is never easy. But it is always good. So yes, I'm actually saying it. Celibacy is not just plausible, it is good. And if you are going to deny that, once again, if you are going to deny that or fail to practice that, it says something about Jesus. But I want to say something else here, something unique, and this speaks to some, some people here with this struggle that I want, to, I want to love you in this. If you are going to deny the goodness of celibacy, or if you're going to fail to practice celibacy in your life, then you are going to marginalize and hurt a demographic of Christians who desperately need your help. Do you know how to stand in solidarity with your same-sex attractive brothers and sisters? Singles. You have a unique opportunity. I don't have this. Do you know how to fight for them? Do you know how to say that the life that the church is calling you to is a good life? Do you know how to stand in solidarity with your same-sex attracted brothers and sisters who are here? I know you're here, and that, that has total complexities to marriage and family conference and singleness. I know it's even much deeper, more painful for you, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We love you. You're welcome here. We are going to call you into God, the will of the Father for you, but we will love you in that. We will stand with you that, and singles, would you please help them? We ask them to not define themselves by their sexuality. We ask them to deny temptation and embrace celibacy. We ask them to see and believe that Jesus is enough and their heterosexual friends are hooking up everywhere in the church. Don't worry, sex, is, sex doesn't define you. Jesus is enough. You can do this. But on the weekends, I'm making out. Fight for them. Stand with them. There are things that you can say to them that I can't say. The, 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 the married dude with four boys saying, hey, sex, sex isn't all. Yeah, right. Easy for you to say. What if you said, sex is not God's will for me either. But joy and fulfillment are mine, and they can be yours too. I'm with you. We can do this. You don't need sex to be fulfilled. It's a lie. Third. Third myth is this. You need family to be loved. I suppose the better way to say that is you need your own family to be loved. It's not that I think a spouse will complete me. It's not that I just want to have sex because I think sex will make me happy. No, no. I don't want to spend the rest of my life alone. I want marriage. I want kids. I want grandkids. 
I want my own family vacations, and I want to put it all on Instagram. I want people to envy me for once. I want this love that my own family can provide. You want to be loved. And the myth you have believed is that you are loved by having your own family. It is not a myth that God ordained family as the earthly source of love. It is a myth that God ordained your family as the earthly source of love. You remember when they came to Jesus and said, your, uh, your mother and siblings are asking for you. And he said, he said, what are you talking about? These are my brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. Anyone who does the will of my father, that's my family. Jesus had this peculiar view of family that the church actually is a family. That when the people of God are called the family of God or the household of God, Jesus actually took that literally. He actually believed that brothers and sisters in the Lord were his brothers and sisters. Not in some fictitious, ooh, that's cute way, but in a real way. There are three relationships where we make covenant vows. Marriage is obvious. If you're a Presbyterian, and you should be, children. We make covenants with our children, and we baptize them. The third is church membership. Do you understand how significant that is? Do you understand that it, right now for you, you have taken vows. You have, you have covenantally bound yourself to the church. We're your family. You do have brothers and sisters. You do have fathers and mothers. You do have children. They're in the nursery. They're mine. You're not alone. And this is why, I, you know, in preparation, I, the, the word singleness became uh, more and more just bad to me. I think I want to retire singleness. Um, I don't know what to replace it with. Uh, celibate is the best word, but it, that would not be good for your profile on a dating app or something like that. I'm living a celibate life. So I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I'm going with unmarried. You're not singled, you are unmarried. You are an unmarried member of God's family. Now again, how real is this? How, how true and intimate and deep is this? Well, again, I, I said when it came to sexuality and sex, I said, will you say the same thing to yourselves that you say to your same-sex attracted brothers and sisters? Here's what I would say. Will you say the same thing to yourself that you would say to a convert who knows that by converting to Jesus Christ, he will no longer have a family? We have these people in our church. We have Muslims in our church who have become a Christian and have been completely abandoned. And I had to look at them and say, Jesus is worth it. This is your new family. Because they're done. We live in a secular age. More and more increasingly secular. More and more people who convert to Christianity, their parents are done with them. You believe in God. You believe in religion. You've been brainwashed. You join a cult. I'm done. Anybody who converts from a non-Bible Belt context loses their family. As did anybody in the New Testament that converted Jesus. Lost their family. I am going to say to them, you haven't. You've gained. You have gained a family. 
You have brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and yes, children. Singles, will you say that? How much do you believe that? If you're on a college campus evangelizing a Muslim and they said, no, you don't understand. If I believe what you're saying right now, I'm done with my family. If you're going to look at them in the eye and say, no, 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 I'll be your brother. I'll be your sister. I will introduce you to a new generation of fathers and mothers. You will be loved with a love you can't imagine. Will you say that to yourself? Will you believe that? Now listen, I understand the church has done a terrible job of being that to you. Listen, if I was, or or to the married folks here, we suck at this, okay? We've got to get better. We, We are there, we are the singles, fathers, brothers, Sisters, brothers, we're that, and we're not doing a good, we're, not, we're being really bad dads and brothers. I get it. But, but, I, but, but because I don't have that demographic, I have the singles in front of me, I will say this take us up on our vows. There's no excuse for you to be lonely. No excuse. I, listen, I know the people in this church. They should be pursuing you, they should be finding you out. They, they, they should be loving you. They should be doing everything they, everything they can to enfold you into their life. And, and a lot of them are failing. A lot of them are succeeding. A lot of them are failing. But I do know the people of this church. I can't think of any elder, any deacon in their family. I can't, think of, I can't think of any member where a single person to come to them and say, hey, could I, could I do dinner once a month with your family? I'd love a home-cooked meal. I'd love to watch you do kids. I'd like to help with your kids. I'd like to help disciple your kids. I'd like, I, 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 I would like to, um, I would like, you know, I became a Christian and my parents are a mess and I never really had a, the love of a father. Never, never, I don't even know what that means. And can, can I come over and just let y'all love on me? And learn what it looks like to be loved by a mom and a dad? I don't know anybody in our church would say, nah. We wouldn't. Abby and I have people into our home constantly um, because we believe this or we try to believe this and we, we try to practice this. Um, and we've, we've, had, um, we've, had, uh, we've had a ministry, uh, just this fell in our lap, we've, we have a ministry to, um, to single ladies um, that God brings into our life, that we enfold into our life and our home. And uh, some of them, we have, I have gladly gotten to marry them off. One of them you'll hear from in a little bit. And some, some I'm still laboring with them in their singleness, um, but, and, and glad to do that. But, but you have a family, and it is the family of God, okay? And if you don't believe that, then, 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 then tell Jesus he was alone and tell, um, tell the converted that um, they truly are losing their happiness and love. Okay. Now I'm going to have to go fast. All right, well, uh, it's not this. It's not these myths. What is it? Okay, if it's not these things that I have believed, if these are lies, that I need a spouse to be complete, I need sex to be fulfilled, I need a family to be loved, then what is it? It's a gift. If God is sovereign, and he is, if he loves you, and he does, then your stage of life is a good and perfect gift at the hands of Almighty God's providence, who is your Father, 
All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Either you believe that or not. Nothing challenges our theology more than singleness and infertility. Than waiting for a spouse and waiting for When I find is these reformed Christians who believe in the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God's providence. This is where rubber meets the road for them. When they come into my office with the singleness of the infertility, either you believe this promise or not. I believe it's true. I believe it's true. I believe that this is good for you. This is God's good and perfect gift for you. And I want to try to show you that through the Apostle Paul. Sandy exegeted this text last night, so I won't spend much time on it. But just one verse. I wish that all were as, my, as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And of course, he's talking about marriage and singleness here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7. He calls his own singleness a gift, okay? A gift. Um, now, here's why this gets made so, so, so many people make fun of this. Like, this isn't the gift that anybody wants, right? It's because we view, when we think gift, we think that this is like a present from God, from heaven. Like, here is my present to you. Um, it's singleness. <laughs> Happy? Um, that's not how the New Testament speaks of gifts, right? What are gifts in the New Testament? Like, what are spiritual gifts? Is that a, is that a present to you? Or is that God, something God has given you to be used for his glory and the good of humanity, Right? What are gifts in the New Testament? They are what God has given us and empowered us to, to be and to use. Well, that's, that's what he's talking about here, especially when you look at the context of the whole passage. When you talk about gift, he's saying the reason why you should want this gift, the reason why I wish you had this gift, the reason why this is a gift is because of how much good can come to the world through this. It's such a gift to the world. Singleness is such a gift to the church and the world. And so we, we have to redefine what we think of when we think of gift. That's what he's talking about. Now, okay, how is it a gift? Okay, it's a gift. What do you mean by that? I've got, again, three, three gifts of singleness. It's a gift to you, it's a gift to others, and it's a gift to God. Okay? I hate to do this, but I am going to have to go a little bit faster through these uh, just to save enough time to answer your questions. I did not tell you all. See that number right there, 847-707-1573? That looks suspiciously like Paul Adams' number. Um, but uh, you, can text any, um, you can text any questions that you have to that number. I'll get those as we make a quick transition, and we will answer those in the Q&A time. I apologize. I should have said that way earlier. 847-707-1573. Uh, text to that, and, and Paul will get me those uh, questions. Okay. Um, gift to you, gift to others, gift to God. I am going to have to go a little bit faster here. Gift to you. Again, God is working all things for your good. If we redefine what I said in the first point, if we redefine the end not as marriage but as completeness in Christ, the goal, the telos, the arc of your story is the glorification that you will be, one day have then this, this is what that end means. If marriage is the end, then it's all your lady in wedding. You're all getting ready for that. If this is the end, then it means that right now, this is the best possible thing for you to get you there. 
This is the best possible God has for you. This is God's best for you. And he's a loving father. And he's a good father. And good fathers know how to give good gifts to their kids. I say no to my kids more than I say yes. Because they ask for things that they cannot have. They should not have. Things that would ruin them. Things that if I indulged would not be for their good right now. And I love them too much. But I love to say yes. I really do. When their goodness, my plan for them, that they can't understand, their longings, when all of that aligns together, I love to say yes and answer those requests. But I say no a lot. And they don't understand why I'm having to say no. And often it ends with, just trust me, I know it's best. This is God's best for you. You either have to give up the sovereignty of God or the goodness of God to deny that truth. And you're not going to give those up. You better not give those up. God is sovereign. God is good. This is best for you if the end is your glory. And it is. Your end is not marriage, it is glory. Might include marriage. Chances are, odds are, it will. Might not. But whatever, this is God's best. Gift to others. You know, uh, I, I, I would just say this. You have got to recover the uniqueness, the uniqueness and um, benefits of singleness that it affords you, particularly as you get older in your unmarried state. The money, the time, the resources. Listen, when I chose to get married and have children, I chose to primarily devote the gifts that God has given me to five people. Five people in this world get most of me. God has gifted me. Um, my gifts are being used at this church. I hope my gifts are being used beyond this church. But primarily, if I'm doing my job, I have said I am making the decision to limit my gifts to five people in this world. Now, I think it's a good decision. I think that's exactly what God had for me. I think my marriage and those boys devoting my primary gifts to that, I think that will, in the end, bless the world, and that's what God's calling me to do. I, I believe that. But listen, if I was single, and I understand, when I study this passage, I totally get Paul here. I really do. I really do. I love my life. I love my calling. I love my wife. I love my kids. I wouldn't trade it for the world. All that aside, but I get what he's saying here. I totally get it. Do you know what I could be doing if I were unmarried? in my position right now. So making the salary I'm making right now, um, and I don't come home to any responsibilities, so I have total time to write whatever I want, to invite whoever I want into my home, to visit with whatever friends I want, to devote whatever I want to this church and the work. Do you know what the Lord could be doing through my life were it not for Abby and those boys? Now again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Praise the Lord for Abby and those boys. I will not, that, that they are my joy and my delight. I love my calling. I love the will of my father. But I'm telling you, Paul, Paul knows what he's talking about here. He's saying, I wish you could be like me. 
because I am pouring my life out for the gospel. All of my money, all of my time, all of my resources. All of it is for others, not a marriage. And he gets into it. He says, look, a guy has to be concerned about his wife and he should be concerned about his wife. He, of course. He said, I don't have those concerns. You have to start viewing that not as a negative thing, but as a glorious, unique gift that you have to give to the world and others. What would it look like if you single men didn't wallow in your singleness, didn't live, like grew up and said, you know, like singleness is not an excuse for the frat life, for the lazy life, for the video game Netflix life. You don't just like grow up when you get married. I'm going to go ahead and grow up. And I'm my house. And my home is going to be a safe home for young boys who need mentoring. Um, I'm going to, I am going to, I'm a pick an injustice in this city, and I'm going to exhaust my singleness to end it. I'm going to pick a need that this church has, and I'm going, at, I'm going after it. What would it look like for ladies to not wallow in their singleness, but to say, you know, I'm going to get an apartment. And I'm not going to wait, I'm not going to wait till um, I register for a wedding to get nice decorations, to get a monogram towel, to, to, get, good, to get good kitchen equipment, to, I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to create the most lovely space, and this space is just going to get worn out as a hospitality unto the Lord. I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm not waiting. I'm not, yes. Gabby. See, see, do you want to? Okay. Perfect illustration. I am in the middle, I'm in the middle of, of talking about how you use your time and resources. We're talking about how do I get my son to a basketball game. I know. It's, it's, at, uh, it's at Glendover. No, 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 no. Is it at Glendover or James Lane Allen? Are you sure? James Lane Allen. You see what I'm saying? Huh? Oh, yes, because I'm going long, right. Okay, could not illustrate it more. Do you have that? I am at all times. That's my life right there. All the time. You, you, you could see your money, your time, your resources, what you could be doing Instead of wallowing in, in, in singleness, waiting to get married so that real life can begin, you could just go ahead and start doing it. You could just go ahead and start living life and changing the world. I love when the shooting happened. I love that, uh, uh, you know, the Jordan Peterson stuff is, is fascinating and it needs to be critiqued in a lot of different ways. But I love how Anthony Bradley connected the shooting to Jordan Peterson and the fatherless culture, and young men who have no mentors, no manhood, have nobody to look up to, and they're just raging and killing each other. Guys, you, you, you can make sure, you could, you could drastically reduce the possibility of a school shooting happening in Lexington by taking in men, taking in troubled teenage boys who just need a mentor. You could do that. I can't. I can't. I can't. I, I've got room for like 
five, I try to maintain five, I try to maintain five evangelistic relationships in my life and I struggle to do five. I just can't. You can. You can do things I can't do. I can do things you can't do. Great, okay. But you can do a lot of things I cannot do. Marshall cannot do, okay? So uh, you, you could use your singleness and believe it is what Paul believes is a gift to others. All right, I gotta, I gotta close. Gift to God, and then we will quickly transition. I'm not an hour and a half over, I'm an hour over, right? Is it, it started at 10.30? Or is 10? I start at 10? Okay. Well, when is it out? When, when is the whole thing over? It ends at 11.30? Yeah, so, the, so it would end at 12.30. Okay. All right. All right. Gift to God. I do not, please do not hear what I'm not saying. I believe in justification by faith alone, through grace alone, not by works of the law. You cannot, you cannot earn any love or approval to God. You cannot give him anything that would make him love you more. We do not give our gifts to God in such a way that we earn his favor and love. He does not love you more because you're single and you're bearing that cross for him, marriage, anything. Okay, theological stuff aside, this is what I'm talking about. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Oh, Jesus, I can never repay, but my life is yours. And if the life you call me to is singleness, then it is my joy to bear this cross for the one who bore the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me bear this cross. It is my joy to offer this single life up to you. Look, you and I both know that the quickest fix to your loneliness would be right now to forsake Jesus Christ and all conviction. I look out at you right now and at our congregation on Sunday. Each week, I am amazed at the lovely, smart, gifted, and on and on the superlatives could go singles in our church. And I know that if you would just cast off your prerequisites and settle for anybody who would give you attention, it would only take a few nights out on the town or a dating app to find a potential mate. Like that, it could happen if you wanted it to. I know you think, no, it could. Instead, you have chosen the awkwardly painful subculture of Christian dating, perhaps the greatest suffering of all, You have chosen to say to the world, I will not consider you for marriage unless you love my Jesus. Let's just state the obvious. To embrace Jesus is to significantly, and in our day, significantly narrow your options. Your singleness could end in months if you wanted it to. If you will give up Jesus, if you will forsake Jesus, you could, you could be done right now with singleness. There is a very real cross to bear that should not be taken lightly or underappreciated. You have chosen Jesus over the plethora of people out there whom I'm sure would love to take you out tonight, but do not share your love for Christ. This is the cost, dear Christian, dear child of God, this is the cost. 
And when we face the different costs of discipleship, and we all have them, my calling has cost too. When we face the different costs of discipleship, it is there that we face the ultimate question, is Jesus Christ worth it? Brothers and sisters, you know the answer, but perhaps you need a pastor to tell you again. He is worth it. 10,000 times over, Jesus is better than a spouse. I know many of you would like to have both, and perhaps God will grant this desire of your heart, but for now, I hope you will view your singleness for what it is, an opportunity to honor the Savior you love by suffering in His name. Your cross is not pleasant, but it is beautiful. It is so beautiful. What a powerful testimony to a culture infused with the vain narrative of perfect romance to see all these wonderful singles declaring to the world Jesus is actually better than whatever relationship could be mine if I would just turn my back on Jesus. Sam, um, who's the, uh, Andy, who's the, the, the um, Church of England, uh, same-sex attraction? Albury, Sam Albury, says that marriage is called to show the shape of the gospel, right? So marriage shows the shape. You see Jesus in the church, and it shows the shape of the gospel. Marriage shows the shape of the gospel. Singleness shows the sufficiency of the gospel. Singleness shows that the gospel is enough. Marriage shows what the gospel looks like. Singleness shows that the gospel is enough. So, beloved unmarried brothers and sisters, I am deeply encouraged by your courage and your conviction, and you need to know that God is pleased as well with you. Make no mistake about it. Jesus notices your sacrifice. You may be forsaken by culture, and sadly at times you may be forsaken by church, but you are not forsaken by Jesus. He will remember your devotion. He is pleased with your willingness to bear the cross of singleness for his namesake, and great will be your reward in heaven. In the meantime, while it is so hard, I suggest you talk to Jesus about it because he understands. This is something you two have that I don't have with him. He gets it. He gets it. He understands exactly what it's like. And he is waiting for you. That's the true arc of history. That's the telos of all things. Not lady in waiting, but bridegroom in waiting. Jesus in waiting. Jesus is not an adulterer. Jesus is not a polygamist. And this is why he saved himself. This is why he never married. He's saving himself for his bride... Jesus will have his one beautiful bride, and you are a part of that. The consummation of all things is a wedding feast with Christ as the bridegroom and the church as the bride. There will be no marriage or giving of marriage in heaven. I will gladly lay down Abby at his feet and say to the lamb that he's better. And you will gladly lay down your singleness or your future spouse at his feet and say it was worth it. Jesus, you're worth it. Jesus, worth the cost. Jesus, worth the wait. Jesus is enough. Let me pray.
Lord, I pray that you would encourage us now as we talk about practical applications of what this will look like and answer questions. I just pray that married or single, we would all be willing to say, we lay it before you, Jesus, because you are worth it. You have not forgotten us. You are waiting for us. You have kept yourself for marriage. And we long for the day, O bridegroom, that you would come, you would make us perfect, and that we would be presented as the pure, spotless bride of Christ to our eternal marriage with God. We long for that day. Until then, encourage us, Lord. Encourage us with the family of God, your people, our fathers and brothers, our mothers and sisters, our children. Encourage us, Lord, um, with the body of Christ and sustain us. By your grace, we pray. Amen.